Hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Saturday, July 29th, 2023, and as promised, we're going to continue our limited series here on preparedness. Last Saturday, we talked about how to prepare for an EMP and uh, some type of cyber attack. And uh, today we want to focus on civil unrest. So how to prepare for civil unrest. I've got Randy with me. I'll bring him on in just a moment uh, to give us some practical solutions and ideas and thoughts uh, that we should consider as we contemplate what life would be like if all hell literally breaks loose on the streets of America. You know, civil unrest is something that is not uh, unheard of in America. There have been pockets of this type of thing. Of course, you go all the way back to the Civil War, and it was a major uh, civil unrest, to, to say the least. Uh, but even in the years since then, there have been isolated incidents where chaos has ruled the day, whether it's uh, because of riots or uh, power outages or, of course, the always ever popular my team won the championship, so let's destroy our city. It seems like every time there's a Super Bowl parade or a, a baseball championship parade or something, people go crazy and start breaking into stores and uh, causing problems. And those things can easily uh, get out of hand. Uh, you know, there are bad people on this earth that want to do bad things. And uh, Satan, of course, is our ultimate enemy. Uh, and I believe that civil unrest is going to be one of the tools in the toolkit for the Luciferians as they get to the point of bringing down America. It won't be just that, but it will be civil unrest coupled with, uh, you know, some other type of uh, problem, whether it's an EMP like we talked about last week, or uh, some type of nuclear strike, some type of war, some type of economic collapse, or weather-related tragedy or crisis of some kind, emergency. So, uh, but civil unrest will definitely be uh, at play. And uh, again, we've, we've seen this where uh, people will, uh, you know, when, when people lose everything, they lose it, as uh, someone has said. I think that was Gerald Salente said that. And uh, he's right. I mean, uh, people, when they get desperate, they will take matters into their own hands and uh, uh, try to do evil things. And so uh, we want today on this uh, shorter program than than usual, just give you some practical advice on uh, how you can kind of prepare for and protect yourself against uh, civil unrest. So, Randy, thanks so much for being back with us on this Saturday podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing just fine. Another week is under the belt. Yeah, it is. And it's been a busy one. By the way, go back and check out all of our podcasts. We had Lucas Doremus on to talk about parables of the kingdom. We had another installment of uh, our Q&A, Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions, Episode 3. Prophecy Night is already getting a lot of traction uh, from last Tuesday night. Of course, Randy and I had our Wednesday World Events update, and it was a good one. I, I feel like it uh, you know, we we kind of started out with sort of just the routine, you know, here's what's happening, here's some news items, here's some things. But toward the second half of the program Wednesday, Randy, I think we really got into some some pretty heavy stuff. And then Thursday, I had two podcasts. I was on with us, Mary Danielson and Stand Up for the Truth Radio. And then I had uh, Brad Mastin on to talk about while we wait. 
And of course, yesterday was our intelligence, uh, our artificial intelligence update with Shane. We called it the snowballing nature of artificial intelligence. So great week. You're right. It's been a good one. Uh, but we want to finish with some solutions here and some practical suggestions on how folks can prepare for civil unrest. So take it away. All right. Civil unrest. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this is probably the premier problem that we could suffer here in the United States. We have the wars, we have countries we're not getting along with, we have all kinds of stuff. But the civil unrest, whether it would be um, caused by an attack, food shortages, fuel shortages, job losses, mm. pandemic, economy, money supply, the cartels, uh, I believe this presents the greatest danger to the Americans at this time. I've talked to my friends. I've talked to people on the street. 80% of them expect something to happen before year end as far as civil unrest goes. And with the political situation and everything, I don't think that's probably um, probably far off, to be very honest with you. Now, what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try to cover a bunch of different topics, what's available, what's not. And then I'm going to give you some more um, resources that are really good to get a well-rounded idea of what's going on and what you need to do. Now, as on Wednesday, we talked about the Fed now, we talked about the CBDC, how it seems to be running along much faster than we thought, being shoved down our throat. The economy could go pot overnight. Let's face it, the, uh, the rate hikes from the Fed, the money supply, the people that are having trouble, um, I, you know, it's going to be a problem. Now, some of the subjects I want to cover are martial law. All right. This is basically where people would be sequestered, probably in their home, in a camp, in prison, or just told not to travel. So when we talk about civil unrest, it's going to depend how widespread it is, um, how violent it is. Remember, the military and law enforcement are sorely undermanned when it comes to something like this. So it could be a definite problem. Uh, an EMP could cause an economic problem. Now, one, uh, on the EMP scene, what I, I want to add a couple things from last week. We had talked about EMPs and a couple people had questions. All right, an EMP that is caused by an EMP weapon will destroy everything outside of the home and probably most of what is in the home, unless it's properly shielded, protected, or whatever. Now, about a day after we had uh, had that podcast, I found out that the Chinese now have a super EMP, which is 200,000 volts. 200,000 volts is twice the you known strength of an EMP before that. Um, that will take out everything if it's not shielded, protected, whatever. Um, the EMP shield, the go bags that we talked about, the blankets that are for EMPs, they will give you some protection in your home. Outside of your home, you're going to be at the mercy of the grid. Now, damage from a foreign adversary is probably going to be very permanent. Uh, the United States does have a program called Black Start. Basically, what that is after an EMP, they've figured out what they need to do if they get a hold of the material that they can 
use to do the repairs, it will take six months to 24 months to get the repairs done. So you could have up to two years, you're on your own. Yeah, and I know we're getting a little bit a field of what our topic is for today, but I'm glad you brought this up because I too got some questions. Uh, The most obvious one is, you know, if an EMP attack happens and the infrastructure is destroyed, what good is it going to do if you protect your cell phone or your computer in a Faraday bag? Because, you know, you're not going to be able to use them if all that other stuff is down. So how would you answer that? Well, very simply, I'll still be able to use my radios. I'll still be able to use my generator. So since everything in the house is protected, I'd be able to use my freezers, my refrigerators, a fan, et cetera. Right. Now, mine does not uh, feed back into the house. It is a standalone, so I can't do what some others can. But I wanted to clarify that because the destruction, it depends on the type of munition used, and it depends on the strength. If the United States would use an EMP against their own people, which they might very well do if they had to declare martial law. Remember, those are graphite bombs. They will fall on the electrical lines. They will cause a short. Everything goes down. But all they have to do is reset it. So the damage would be minimal, and they would be able to bring that online. So there's probably no way we're going to know exactly what we're hit with, but just understand the differences. If things are down for two years, you better do some stocking and do it now. Yeah, wait a minute. You're you're saying our government would actually do something that would harm its own people? I'm stunned. I cannot believe it. But uh, actually, I'm pretty sure they're doing that right now. Amen. Yeah, if you read my Spirit of Antichrist books, we give uh, dozens of examples of that throughout American history. So that comes as no surprise. All right, back to civil unrest. Uh, Okay. Give us some more intel here. All right. So there could be an attack by terrorists, um, right wing, left wing, uh, foreign adversaries. Understand that will be a surprise. There will be it will be mayhem. You will not know who the enemy is. You will not have law enforcement or military to protect you. And what you're going to have to do is hold up and hope you've got plenty to last you through everything. All right. Now. Basically, when we get civil unrest, there are different things you can do. You can hide out. Hopefully, they don't discover you. Shut your lights off. Get in the house and don't make any noise. You can run, hopefully, to a safe spot that nobody else is there. More likely, everybody will be there. But uh, you can conceal. Conceal yourself in a garage, in a house, underground, whatever you want to do. Because you're going to want to escape and evade if you can Otherwise, you are going to probably become a victim of the marauders, the gangs, the people looking for food, whatever. So start thinking about what you want to do and where you want to go, because this is a definite danger. It's going to happen. We don't know when, but think of where would I go? Who would I take with me? What would I do? What would I carry with me? Yeah. <laughs> let me let Go me ahead. back up real quick to the the uh, different options that you have. You you said it so well. You can either stay put, you can run, or you have to hide out. In our uh, preparedness guide, and, and once again, I want to remind folks they can go to notbyworks.org, and on the resources tab on the left of the homepage there, if you hover over that, another menu pops up, and you can see our NBW preparedness guide right there. If you click on it, it will download it as a PDF directly to your phone or computer, wherever you're accessing it from. 
from. And on this 12-page guide, right at the beginning, I have uh, first uh, potential scenarios, which is what we're dealing with on these Saturday shows. We already did a, uh, an EMP attack, and then now we're doing civil unrest. But uh, then I have three options, plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A is hunker down, meaning stay put where you know, you've got power outages, you've got uh, things uh, that are kind of dangerous out and about. There's no reason to be running around out there. Uh, just stay home and, and, and have some family time, play games, uh, eat your stored up food and uh, drink your stored up water or from your well or creek or spring. Uh, plan B is head out. And that's that happens when you've got a danger to your life or your home. Uh, maybe it was a natural disaster or fire or something. And uh, there's just, you can't stay there. It's just not safe to stay in your home. So you've got to have a bug out plan uh, and bug out supplies to, to be ready to grab quickly because, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of you here, Land, uh, Randy, so I apologize if I'm stealing uh, the, the, some of your thunder here a little bit, but uh, if you do have to head out, the key is going to be how quickly can you do it? Because if yes. if you are not one of the early folks that gets ahead of it, you're going to be trapped in so much traffic and congestion, you're not going to be able to get out. So those that have thought through this and are prepared and have their bug out bags ready, you can you ought to be able to leave in 15 minutes. And, and, and anything you can't grab in 15 minutes, either you didn't have it ready and logically organized so that you can grab it or you don't need it. Uh, but the third option is one that really is relevant, I think, to the civil unrest, and that is... Uh, it's the most serious, and that's what I call the hold up. So you've got the hunker down, the head out, or the hole up. And that is where, you know, you called it hideout, uh, where, you know, you want to lay low. And people, bad actors, marauding mobs, and like the likes of that may come after you. So that's where you're going to have to be willing to protect your domicile. Or if, uh, you know, you could have an option where plan B and C go together, where it's not safe in your home, but you're also being in danger from you know, marauding mobs. So now you've got a bug out, but you've got to do so strategically in a way that's going to keep you out of harm's way. So those are kind of the, the scenarios that we address in our preparedness guide. Yes. And I mean, they could declare martial law. You're not supposed to go anywhere, whatever that pretty much keeps most of the people at home, but not having the resources to do that as far as law enforcement and military, if we have a nationwide event, I think holding up is what I like to do because everything I need is here. I don't have to worry about what I didn't bring. What did I need that I didn't take along? Uh, you also need to think very carefully about who you're going to do this with. Um, close friends, family, somebody like that is great. Have your location where you're going to try to go. Make sure you know alternate routes how to get there. Don't take the same route that everybody else is going to take because they're all going to be on the highways. They're all going to be on the interstates and traffic, like you said, will be a mess. Um, see this how some, a lot of summer is still here. That would create his own problems. But winter would be the time that I would worry the most about trying to travel due to the mountains, due to the snow, due to everything else that's going on. Um, Fortunately, I've never been in a situation where I need to bug out and go somewhere. But I do remember working the hurricanes, and I think I shared this before. When you get to where you're going, you better have everything you want. Because when we went to Hurricane Katrina, we got there the day after. I stayed in Lafayette. That was about 60, 70 miles from New Orleans. Walmarts had nothing. The other stores were shut down. 
gasoline they were fighting over. Um, so have what you need. Know what you need to survive. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me talk about uh, the uh, bug out uh, thing one more time, because I can't emphasize sure. enough how important it is to be uh, to be prepared to do that, because every minute counts and it could be mean a matter of life and death. So let's um, let's assume you're having to, to flee because there's some imminent threat to that area. It could be a hurricane, could be a forest fire. We have to think about that here in Colorado. Um <clears throat> My folks, by the way, used to live in Colorado, and they had to uh, had a mandatory evacuation. A fire uh, a few years ago came within a quarter mile of their cabin up in the mountains, and uh, fortunately, by God's grace, it didn't it didn't destroy their cabin. But uh, I can remember speaking of hurricanes back when my family and I lived in uh, Southeast Texas in the Houston area, and Hurricane Rita, which came after Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. was a big deal. It was making a deadline for Houston. And I mean, they were, everybody was told to to, to get out. So I sent my wife and, and young kids at the time uh, way north to go stay with, uh, I forget who they stayed with, a brother or relative or somebody. And I stayed behind uh, because we were far enough inland that I didn't think it was going to be a threat to life. I just wanted to be there to to you know, board up the windows if they crashed and broke and all that. So I'm at home. Uh, it's the, the hurricane's getting closer and closer. It's 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 the day before it's supposed to make landfall, and they've issued mandatory evacuations. Remember, Houston is what six million people, the greater metro area, and so right. everybody's heading out. And I'm seeing this coverage on the news. Of course, you know, all the businesses had shut down. I was teaching full time at the time at a college and it was shut down for the day. So I'm just watching things unfold. And they're showing these helicopter views of these every major artery. I mean, every every, interstate highway, you name it, was just clogged at a standstill as everybody tried to get out. Because from Houston, you know, it's a coastal city. It's the largest port city in America. You can't you know, you can only go one direction, basically north or south along the coast. And so uh, I thought, man, this is really fascinating. And again, I lived pretty far out and I thought, I'm just kind of curious. I'm going to just hop in my car and just, you know, leave our subdivision. We lived in a subdivision at the time and uh, and just see what it's like. I kid you not, Randy, I got in my car. I, I The minute I turned out of our subdivision, I realized it was a mistake because you could only go one way, and it took me three hours to get back the quarter mile that I had ventured away from our house because there was so much traffic. It was like every road people could turn on, they just were turning. They just they were so panicked, they didn't want to stand still, and they were just turning off. It's like water seeking a crack, you know? And yes. uh, it was, it, I'll never forget it. It was a real vivid memory. And uh, and that right there left an impression that if we ever need to leave again, you know, uh, we're going to be ready. I'm not going to be caught in that. And so I just wanted to remind people that. And, and one more thing before I throw it back to you on civil unrest, which is what we're talking about today. Remember, there's a pretty high probability that the government and the powers that be will foment civil unrest. They've got a long history of doing that through programs like COINTELPRO. And a lot of the uprisings that we saw in the 60s and 70s, it's now well documented that those were, uh, you know, FBI agents had infiltrated and posed as, you know, uh, protesters and stirred up the pot and got people all kind of like we saw on January 6th, by the way, there's no question that there were government agents involved in that uh, ginning people up and getting them all excited and, and so forth. So uh, civil unrest is a very real possibility. Yeah. 
unrest is probably one of the more dangerous situations you can get into. When I've been at the hurricanes, you'll find that whatever you have with you is all you may have for days or weeks or months. You also have to understand if you're going to be going through cities or to rural areas, everybody will be armed. Everybody will look at you as an adversary. They're, they're not going to come say, come have lunch with us. I mean, we would pull up to houses that had a message on the garage door. You loot, we shoot. <laughs> Everybody was carrying a gun. So if you couldn't identify yourself, you don't want to go into these areas. So if you're going to be going somewhere, you know where you're going, you get there fast, and you make sure the people there know who you are. Because... Um, Katrina was the worst, but many of the other hurricanes and storms and stuff, you will see people at their absolute worst. They haven't eaten. They don't have anything to drink. Um, they are a mess. They will get violent. So you'd have to have protection and everything else. Now, I'm going to real briefly go over a bunch of stuff, and then I want to give you some um, – I want to qualify a few things because you go to the prepper channels and stuff. They got good stuff sometimes. Sometimes it's worthless. But this is stuff that they're probably not going to tell you. All right. Cash, water, metals, medications, uh, vitamins, prescriptions, painkillers, eye wash, burn treatment, ointment, fire extinguishers, first aid get, kits, guns, ammo, knives, axes radios, batteries, flashlights, you get you get the idea. But here's the deal. All right, everybody during the COVID pandemic went out and bought those stupid wipes that are supposedly antibacterial. Understand they don't kill everything. So what I would suggest is you, you have different things on hand because if we get into another pandemic, it's going to be worse than the first one. You're going to have what you've got because the stores will be emptied probably in a matter of hours. So remember, if you're going to use alcohol, it needs to be 91% or more. Don't use the weaker stuff. It doesn't kill anything. Alcohol kills the bacteria and germs faster than the chlorinated phenols, the chlorine products, uh, like your bacterial wipes, like your sprays, you know, your Lysol sprays. And then what I do is I go over the area that I'm trying to protect let it stand, wipe it down. Then I go over it with microban. Microban is another antibacterial, but it will stay there for a day to 24, from 24 hours to 48 hours. So you're going to get much more effective coverage from stuff like that. If you're going to be taking soaps, take antibacterial soaps. Um, take ammonia. Ammonia can do some really good cleaning for you, blankets, toilet paper. Now, Toilet paper, they actually make little squares that you can rehydrate to get into usable sizes of toilet paper. Now, if you, you've seen the people coming out of the stores back in the pandemic, their cart is full of toilet paper and paper towels. Well, what are you going to do after that? You're going to have to have a plan, right? So you can use cloth. You could use a lot of things. You could redo it. Um, remember, when you're taking water, you need a gallon of water per day per individual, and that is drinking water. That is not water for cleaning, bathing, anything else like that. Um, storage of water. 
when this happens, the water you have will be the water you're going to have unless you can go to a lake. You could go to a river. You know, they have water straws that will take out the bacteria. You can get a um, system like the Berkey system where you could actually filtrate a bunch of stuff. Um, just remember, don't drink straight from the pond, straight from the river. Uh, always purify it before you use it. Another thing. Now, this was kind of an afterthought the other day. Get yourself a spring-loaded punch. Now, the only time you're going to use this is if you want to break glass. You basically push it against the glass. The little spring activates, and the gas glass shatters. You can move it out in safe chunks, safe pieces, not get yourself cut, not cause a problem. So remember to have one because... I found them when I was on the fire department and they have a lot of uses. Let me let me go back to the water thing real quick. A couple of useful uh, practical suggestions for water. Uh, if you live out in the country where you don't have a creek or spring or pond or lake, uh, but you have a well, uh, remember... Uh, a lot of these crises may happen concurrently. So you may be dealing with civil unrest or martial law, but also with a power outage. So your well may not be able to pump. So they make a small, very simple, inexpensive uh, siphon that's battery operated that has a plastic tube that you can put down in. You, you take you unscrew the well cap from your well and you you literally lower it down into the ground, down to the water table, and you can pump water up from that. You're right. Each person needs one gallon of water a day. Uh, so when we were younger and all of our kids were at home, that was eight uh, people. Uh, so we always made sure we had eight, you know, eight gallons of water uh, that we could produce or get our hands on eight gallons of water each day. Um, another thing you can do if you don't live out in the country, but you live in an area where there is, um, you know, high humidity or at least humidity above 40%, um, which is not the case in the mountains of, of Colorado. Uh, some days it gets up there, but routinely it's not that high. There is a uh, machine called an Ecola Blue, E-C-O Blue, like the letter Ecola Blue. Uh, let's see, E-C-O-L-O Blue, Ecola Blue. Uh, anyway, it's a it's it's a water generator, and it's amazing. Uh, uh, we had one, and it uh, basically works like a dehumidifier, except the water that it sucks out of the air, it puts through uh, a, a series of UV, uh, carbon, all kinds of filters that makes it, basically, it has a reverse osmosis in it. So it's basically pure water. And it looks like just like an Ozarka type water machine. You know, it even has hot or cold, but it's getting the water literally right from the air and it will produce up to eight gallons a day. That's why we ended up getting one and researching it. And the thing is amazing and they're fairly expensive, but if you've got the, the, the resources, uh, that works great. Now, the only thing is it needs power. So you need to have a generator of some sort to power that thing so that it will produce the water every day. But you can, in fact, get water right out of thin air using an Ecola Blue if you have uh, the, the resources to purchase one uh, or if you have you know, have a way to have power. So anyway, I just wanted to throw those resources out there. I think that's that's very good because, you know, when you're talking about your siphon for water, could you use that for gasoline to bring it up from a tank at a filling station? Yeah, well, they make uh, separate ones for that. We have one of those, too, that's not battery operated. It's just got one of those bulbs that you squeeze, 
And those, right. those are great for that. Cause with the gasoline, uh, usually once you get the flow started, it'll come out. You can position it where it's gravity fed, uh, with a pump. Sometimes you're going two, 300 feet and you really need a powered uh, siphon. Right. Okay. Uh, food there, the types of food that's that are available, you know, you have canned, you have salted, you have freeze dried, you have stuff you've canned at home, you have packaged, you have frozen, um, you have stored frozen meats, dried meats, etc. Uh, you know, the frozen and the refrigerated stuff is going to have a limited lifespan unless you have a generator or a method to keep it cold in Colorado. You have to go six feet deep before you get to 55 degrees. Some states are not that deep. But if you wanted to store your food, um, especially if you salted it or it's prepackaged and it's vacuum packaged, you could store it, cover it up, and be okay. Like potatoes. Potatoes are a good source of nutrients and a very filling item. You can dig a hole 18 inches to 24 inches deep, put all the potatoes you want in there, cover it with straw, with hay, with leaves, whatever, then cover it so it doesn't get wet. Those will last for two years. Now, a lot of people like to do that with onions. Don't put the onions in with the potatoes because they cause it to ripen. So you got to keep them separate. But I mean, potatoes, let's face it, you put 20 pounds of potatoes down there for two people, that gives you a lot of meals. And, you know, the freeze dried, the MREs and that kind of stuff, if you buy those, you need to taste it, learn how to prepare it, because you'll survive on it. But this is not a, going to be an Epicurean delight by any means. <laughs> Um, I don't know what to say as far as the amount of food for a person per day. Do you have any idea on that, JB? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're all going to lose weight in that situation, that's for sure, because you're just going to have to do the bare minimum and your body will acclimate. It will it will tell you when it's when it's hungry. Uh, we've heard stories of people being uh, stranded on at sea and in surviving on you know, one fish a day that they were managing to catch that kind of stuff. So I don't know the exact amount of caloric intake, but it's a, a lot less than what the average American uh, has today. One other thing I want to mention while I've got the mic here, you mentioned uh, be know who you're going to take with you and who, who you're going to have be prepared for. By the way, we're not only talking about bugging out, you, you know, civil unrest, most often, in, the, in a situation like that, or most likely, I should say, you're going to probably be able to stay home and you're going to want to fortify your your house and your property and just be wise. And there's a lot of things I want to say about that, too, if you don't get to, get to it, just from a pragmatic perspective of what do what can you do to minimize the, the possibility that your house is going to be a target from some of these evildoers. But if you do have to leave, uh, also think about pets. You know, a dog can be a very helpful thing to have with you from a protection standpoint, and he will alert you if you're having to camp out. By the way, a tent is another thing that should be in your preparedness stash. Um, you know, we have a big 15 person tent. Uh, it takes it's all you know, when it's all taken down and bundled up, it's pretty small, uh, but it will sleep uh, uh, 12 to 15 people. And, you know, that's if you're on the run and you got to 
find a remote part of a national forest somewhere to, to camp out for a few days, you're going to need shelter. So uh, that's another thing to remember, but they can alert you. Dogs can, they can, they can help you. Uh, and they can eat people food, by the way, you don't need to spend a bunch of money on dog food, just whatever you're eating, let them eat. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, I suppose if you have cats, you could take them too. Um, but uh, for, an for, for an appetizer. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I love cats. They taste like chicken. Uh, but no, just think about your pets is the bottom line, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, re remember that as well. So back to you. On the food issue, uh, a lot of the freeze-dried, the canned, et cetera, they have an expiration date on them. Now, from what I'm told, the canned food that you buy in a grocery store, it has the end date. And if it's not a high acid or a tomato product, it's probably good for five years after the expiration date. If it is a high acid or a tomato-based product, uh, if it's swollen, if it's cracked anything, or it's at the expiration date, get rid of it. You don't want it. Um, a lot of the food lasts much longer and tastes just as well. Uh, the, the meats and some of those items, they will break down a little bit, but they're still nutritious. They're still edible. And if something like this were to go for six months, I'm thinking we're going to eat anything that we can that isn't going to poison us, cause us a problem or whatever. Um, I did note I have been looking at a lot of different sites. Ever, evidently, everybody else is thinking about this, too, because a lot of these products are sold out. They don't know when they'll be getting more in. So if you want stuff like that, go into the Internet. Pick them. I mean, there's at least a dozen of them that would work very well for you. Get what you think you'll need. Um, I can't tell you what you'll need to prepare for because it de it's determined by the situation. But it, there will be no help coming. The United States has nothing in force to assist us if this is a mass event. So you're on your own. Uh, be able to hunt. Be able to fish. Know your poisonous plants. Know the plants you can eat. If you're in the desert, there are a lot of cactus that are edible and contain a huge amount of water. But know which ones they are. Uh, we had talked about survival guides and stuff. I strongly, re uh, strongly remind and recommend everybody get one and read it before this happens. Now, yeah, on the on the plants, you that should be on your library shelf as well. We've got all kinds of uh, books like that on plants, birds, snakes, insects, just because when you're out there, you're going to, you're going to want to know if you get bitten, is this a problem or, but plants are especially important. And by the way, on hunting, since we're talking about civil unrest, it's important to recognize uh, uh, being, uh, you know, showing discretion and being quiet and being unseen and unheard is going to be critical because, um, you know, if if there is a marauding mob coming around, they're going to go for the the brightest target. So the house that's all lit up, you know, that's why I heard uh, Joel Skousen one time say a lot of these wealthy billionaires that are building these so-called mansions up in the mountains, they're building these massive mansions that are clearly visible from the highways. And yeah, they've got gates and fences around them and all, but you're, you're just advertising, hey, there's a lot of stuff here. So you want to be low key. And one of the ways to do that is to have good uh, sun darkening shades and things so that at night you can minimize 
the amount of light that's getting out and you want to keep your lights off. But as far as hunting, if you, you know, I, I grew up hunting, killed, you know, tons of deer, turkey, quail, dove, you name it, uh, all through my, all the way up through college and a little bit into my married life. Um, and, you know, when you shoot that 30 out six or that 270 or that 300 Savage, whatever it might be, people are going to hear that for quite a ways. And the minute they hear that gunshot, First of all, if the government's coming after you, they've got technology that can triangulate gunshots and figure out exactly where you are. But even the marauding mobs, they're going to go, ah, somebody just killed a deer and they're going to come try to take that deer from you. So what you need to get is a bow. And I think I've mentioned this before, but bow and arrows are quiet. Uh, you can get a compound bow. It's fairly quiet as well. Certainly no one's going to hear you beyond your immediate, you know, where you're standing. And, uh, and then you've got your deer. And, uh, you know, some people live... If you live out in the woods like where we are, you know, we 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 could have our pick of dinner every night. Uh, you know, there's just tons of deer just walking around, you know, easily it'd be easy to hit one with a with a bow. And I'm not an archer. Uh, but uh and one deer, a good healthy mule deer, you know, if you prepare if you uh take care of it, you know, that'll last you, you know, quite a while. So it's not like you have to kill a deer every night. But uh, anyway, just wanted to mention that. Yes. And the thing is, you know, firearms are easy. I mean, you learn how to use them. They're right there. But, you know, if you're into concealment, into hiding out, that and the sound of a generator will give you away right now. So be prepared for the consequences. Now, when it comes to self-protection, there's a bunch of different stuff you can use. But the thing is, you need to practice with it. You need to know how to use it. And the two things I'm going to talk about right now are guns and knives. Um, 79 million gun owners in the United States, 350 million guns, a trillion rounds of ammunition. And I will bet you 50% of the people have never taken that gun out of the holster, out of the case, and know how to use it. So if you're not proficient with it, you may as well leave it at home because you're going to end up killing yourself or somebody else. You know, with guns, you got to remember, you always point it in a safe direction. You always assume that it is loaded. You never mess around with it. You treat it with respect and you treat it as the weapon that it is. Now, the calibers, if you want a rifle, shotgun, pistol, you know, you've got to decide that. But you have to get the right components to go with the weapon you have to know how to use it, and you need to know when to use it. Now, the big question that I get asked all the time, would you shoot somebody that was going to take your food or if they were attacking you? Well, the attack part, that's a no-brainer. I mean, somebody attacks my family, my friends, whomever I'm with, of course. Um, not something I'm going to want to do, but something I may have to do. If they're only there begging for food, you know, it's, it seems like an extreme response to somebody that just wants food. But remember, if you give them food, they're going to come back for more. They're going to bring their friends, their relatives, and pretty soon you have nothing for you. So try to determine the parameters you want to go to and what you think you can do. Now, when you're handling a firearm, and a lot of you are going to have handguns, I understand that. Remember one thing besides what I've just said, 
If your adversary is within 21 feet of you, you cannot draw your gun and stop them before they get to you. In other words, they'll move across the room. They'll move down your sidewalk. They will be on you before you can ever utilize a gun to take away the threat. So you're going to have to have other means of defense, or you're going to have to know self-defense, or you're going to have to turn and run, whatever. But don't try the old tombstone courage. This is not Matt Dillon. This is preserving yourself, trying to be safe. So if your adversary is close, get behind something. What I teach in my classes, you always put something between you and the other person and the gun. Otherwise, it's just you and them. Most most gun attacks take place within nine feet. So if you if they're nine feet from you, don't even try to draw your gun. You're not going to get it done. If they're 21 feet, you might have a chance. But just understand what you're dealing with. I mean, a knife, the closer you get, the more um, dangerous it is. If you're using a bow and arrow or whatever, know what you're using. Because the worst thing to happen is they take your weapon away from you and use it on you and take away everything you've got, set up your food, tents, whatever. Now, so, let, let me go back to the people coming to the door, because you, you, you that's a very good point that you made. Um, people always tend to think in extremes, you know, either I've got to shoot them in the head or give them all my food and starve to death. Well, there's obviously that's extreme. I, I think you you can have a conversation. If yes. if someone comes to your door and they are threatening to do you bodily harm, then you must defend yourself. That's biblical. It's a your duty as a leader of the family to protect you and your family, uh, and you know protect your kids that kind of thing. Uh, but if they're just knocking, and and you can discern the situation quickly and realize they're not an immediate threat. They don't have a weapon. They're just hungry. I think, you know, you can have a conversation with them. You can be gracious and you can say, hey, look, I'm going to give you some food to get you through the day, but don't come back because, listen, you know, I've got my family to take care of. That's my first responsibility. And as much as I love you and would love to help you, me continuing to help you is going to cause my family to suffer and possibly die. So I think, you know, there are ways you can have a conversation. And if the person is rational, which I realize in a situation of civil unrest, they may not always be. But if they're genuinely just coming and they're hungry, uh, I think, you know, you don't have to shoot them. Obviously, we don't want to shoot anybody if we can help it unless we're in exactly. threat under threat of danger or bodily harm or death. Um, so I think there's something you can uh you know, ways, ways around it, but you're, you've said it well, you have to be prepared to do whatever is necessary to protect your, you know, protect your family. And uh, that's not a decision you're going to want to have to contemplate in the moment. You need to think about it now. Yes. And personally, as a Christian, I could not shoot somebody over food. That goes against everything I believe. I mean, crying out loud, give them a little bit, do what you can to help them. God will provide when you need your stuff. I fully believe that. So think through the scenarios so that you're not totally surprised if it happens. I mean, let's face it, extreme times require extreme measures, but common sense still needs to rule. That's very, very simple. Um, so if you're using a knife or bow and arrow, whatever, Think about what you're doing for crying out loud before you do it. You might be hungry. You might be hot. You might be thirsty. You, you will be at the end of your rope. But 
hopefully the common sense will still be circulating. And remember, as a Christian, I feel I am held to a higher standard than a normal person because I know what is right and wrong. And I know what would be feasible. I know in my own body, in my own mind, what I'm willing to do depending on the circumstance. And everybody needs to think ahead about what are you going to do? Make sure your family's in on it with you because you have to operate as a team. This is not a place where you want to operate by yourself. Amen. So then we, the next problem we're going to have is sanitation. The water will probably be out. Sewer will be out. We'll have sewer backup. Uh, there will be no trash delivery probably. So, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to think about how you want to dispose of this. I mean, having, Digging holes, you're going to need something to dig holes on the farthest part from you on your property. You're also going to need heavy-duty plastic bags. You know, you're going to want to bury it fairly deeply. And I'm talking basically human excrement, pet excrement, those kind of things, leftover food, because the disease will kill you as fast as anything else. Dysentery, cholera, killed so many pioneers because of a lack of sanitation mm. that it killed more than gunfights or any of that ever did. And, and this will be an area where people don't think about it, but trash, trash guy's not coming. Mm. So dig holes, put it in there, put dirt, put lime, whatever, put that in there. Then you can put several layers, leave it alone, dig some more holes. But you're going to have to have the stuff that you're going to need, the toilet paper, paper towels, all that good stuff. And then remember, when you bury it, you don't want to bring it back up. So put it where it's out of the way. All right. Now, the last thing I've got is a very big item, and it's medications. Now, I listened to a prepper last night, and frankly, I wanted to pull him out of the screen and slap him. He says, you know, when you consider the population and you consider all the sick people, old people, whatever, he says, maybe we need to reevaluate who we keep alive. Oh. And I'm going, well, that you're not that guy that's going to make that decision for me. You know, it's true. We have a lot of elderly anymore. We have a lot of sick people, disabled people. It is not our choice to decide who lives and dies. But talk to your doctor. Go to Jace Medical, Duration Health Medical, and there's a new one I saw today called Contingency Medical. You can get your antibiotics. You can get your uh, regular prescriptions for a year. Have that stored. Store in a dry place. Have those things available because the pharmacy is not going to be open and they're sure not going to be delivered. So have it. Make sure you know how to use it if you're getting some of the emergency supplies. Uh, again, most of these are listed as being, a, you know, usable for a year. There are only a couple of drugs I can think of that are only good for a year. The uh, Department of the Army did a big study a few years ago because they were buying all this new stuff, paying a fortune, and they found that most every medication will last two years, three years, five years. There are antibiotics it will last 20 years. So do a little research, get what you need. Now, there, there is a drug shortage of many things right now going on. China's cutting off the drugs that we're getting. India has stepped up and is trying to provide it. 
But think ahead. Use these services or your doctor, if they'll write you a prescription, get them. Start using them, and then you can put a new supply in as you use the old. But if you're reliant on heart medications, breathing supplements, uh, anything, if you don't have them, it'll be a very short time, and you're going to be sick or die. It's that simple. Now, the people with insulin. I'm on insulin, and I got to tell you what, I share your concern because most of that stuff, you got to keep it cold. If, again, a six-foot hole, put it there, cover it up, it will stay under 55 degrees. It will last. Most insulins last for three years. If you run out of the stuff from your doctor, Walmart and a lot of other places carry a non-prescription insulin that you can use. You can buy as much as you need to. That way, you're going to have it available. The people that are on oxygen, these are with the um, oxygen concentrators, the CPAPs, etc. Check and see if there is a backup that is made that you can, after the power is out, that you can use. I've got a friend on one of the concentrators. There is no backup. So after he's done using that and he's done using his um, resupply of oxygen containers, he's done. Well. Do you need a generator? Do you know somebody has a generator? Are you close enough to go to a hospital to see if they've got a generator or something? Start thinking about this stuff because trying to order it on Amazon when this stuff goes down is not going to work. And speaking of generators, let me mention that you can, there's a a company, mysolarbackup.com. We purchased several solar generators from them through the years, five or six. Um, They're small, uh, about the size of a a small uh, garbage can, uh, the battery itself. And then it connects with a 50 foot cable to a three by five foot solar panel that's on wheels, very sturdy, very handy. The idea is you keep those uh, plugged into a normal wall outlet routinely. But if you have a power outage, you unplug it from the wall, plug it into that solar panel, put the solar panel out south facing in your yard, and it will power that generator. And one of those will power small devices. Like it wouldn't power a large refrigerator or freezer, but it will power a computer or cell phone, uh, a CPAP machine, some of those types of things. And you can get uh, three or four of those. The last time I checked, it's been a while, but they were about 1,500 to 2,000 each. Um, and uh, you know that will get you by on some of the emergency situations. They make a larger one that has two three foot by five foot solar panels. Uh, that is twice as big, and uh, it's on wheels, uh, and you can wheel it around. It's about the size of a medium-sized suitcase, and uh, and you can that way you can use to power refrigerator, freezer, that kind of thing. So solar backup, solar power that's portable can be helpful. A lot of people use them in campers. You know, they, when they get to their campsite, they take them out, and that's how they charge their cell phones and things like that. Um, they're a little costly, uh, and of course, you know, the sun is not always uh, available, especially in in the winter uh, and in certain parts of the country. uh, And with all that they're spraying to kind of, you know, manage all of that uh you know that's uh it could could not might not work but uh it's going to work for most people and that's another option for powering up these critical devices you know and i want to talk more about the generators because i've been doing some research on that but first a couple of other things as far as medications if you're eating the freeze-dried food you're eating the mres 
you're going to need vitamins and minerals because a lot of those over 10 years, five years are going to lose that part of the nutritional cycle. So get those. Have a thermometer, a pulse oximeter, know how to take a blood pressure, have a mirror because you can use it for many different things, even use it to uh, for a signal and a magnifying glass. A magnifying glass, believe it or not, you can start a nice fire with a magnifying glass. It takes a few minutes, but if you have some paper, you have kindling, you don't have a match, I guarantee you I found out the hard way that they make a nice fire. So yeah. have those kind of things available. Another resource to have on your shelf, uh, there are a couple of books uh, that we have, and I'm tr- I was trying to look without getting up uh, from my desk here and see, and I can't see the where they are on my shelf, but it's it's when there's no doctor and when there's no dentist, or where there is no doctor and where there is no dentist, and they're really good practical books to for helping solve medical problems when you when you can't get to a doctor. And everybody ought to have a surgical kit. You ought to have all kinds of medical supplies in your medical bug out bag uh, because. In a crisis, you may not be able to just jump in the car and go to a urgent care or ER. So um, those are the kind of things that with the help of a book, I mean, you can do it. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but if you think about it, again, human history, it's only been the last 120 years since the dawn of the Western medical mindset that people have relied so heavily on the medical system. Most of the time, you know, they did it themselves. If you're out in the field plowing the field and you break an arm you set it yourself and and probably keep on plowing frankly you don't you know rush to the er and pay the insurance and pay all of this and you know pay you know thousand dollars for a roll of gauze and that kind of stuff you just manage it yourself so anyway those are two great books i I can't remember it's when there's no doctor or where there is no doctor but it's one of the two and it's it's a classic and one that everybody should have well jb and i we have a lot of medical supplies between us and if you're close, we would offer our services, but uh, no cash, no credit cards. It'll be strictly food, ammo, whatever we take for payment. Because, That's right. <laughs> you know, we're, we got to look out for ourselves, too. I say that in jest. But all right. I'm going to give some uh, websites that are pretty good. They have good information. Um, look them up because they will go over this stuff ad nauseum. We're trying to cover it so you're so you get used to it a little, but this is by no means complete what we're going to be able to give you in an hour. There is a place called theprepared.com. They offer classes for survival, how to handle food, etc. Now, one of the topics, I forget which one is 57 classes, and another is 70 classes. But when you're done with that, you ought to know everything that anybody knows. Um, a pinch of patience. Uh, this lady basically shows you how to can goods, how to salt meats, um, how, to, how to do it like we used to do it before we have everything like we like we do now. City Prepper. He's good. He's very, he's very mellow. Gives some really good information. Townsend's. T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D-S. Again, they're going to show you how to use the stuff you have in your household, how to prepare foods that will last forever. And then there is the Provident Prepper. Now, there's probably a hundred more that I don't know about, but I know there's at least a hundred I've looked at and I'm thinking they're a bunch of whack jobs. Mm -hmm. So if you stick with these, I think you'll get the information because like I said, there is no way 
we can prepare you for what is coming. So use the adjuncts, use the other material, get what you need. Yeah. And, you know, when we recommend these sites and stuff, we're certainly not endorsing everything that some of these people stand for. We're just saying, hey, we've we've listened to him. Randy's listened to him. He's watched him. He found some of it helpful. And so he's passing it along friend to friend. So, you know, we're not medical doctors. We're not financial advisors. We're not, you know, experts in every conceivable subject. We're just trying to help the body of Christ, uh, you know, think through some of these types of things as we see Bible prophecy, uh, you know, really getting uh, ready to be fulfilled right before our very eyes, the stage being set day after day. So hopefully you found this stuff helpful. Uh, Randy, thanks again for uh, for everything you do. And this was a little longer than we thought. We kind of, we go into these Saturday podcasts thinking, oh, we'll just spend 30 minutes giving some practical advice. But uh, it, our conversations always just are so enriching and so uh, good back and forth that uh, before you know it, the time flies by. So anyway, I, I hope people don't mind a little bit longer podcast on a Saturday, but we'll go as long as we need to. We'll be back again next Saturday with another uh, preparedness uh, episode on uh, types of scenarios that may be coming down the pike. But uh, And of course, we'll be back Wednesday with our World Events update. Got a full week next week, uh, as usual, with some great uh, resources, some great guests. Um, uh, you know, I've got... Uh, uh, Leo Homan back on next week. I still can't believe I get to talk to him. What a great guy. Uh, I've got Lucas Doremus back again, we hope. Um, I've got another episode four of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. That's going to drop on Monday. If you're in the Denver metro area, come see us tomorrow at Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, we have an 8.30 and 10 o'clock worship services. We live stream the 10 o'clock message. So if you can't make it or you're not in the area, go to notbyworks.org at 10 o'clock Mountain Time, and we will be live streaming the message from that service. Randy, any closing thoughts? Let's hope the good Lord gets back soon because I'm not, I don't want this happening in the summer or the winter. Chances are it's not going to happen in the fall. So let's get it over with. Well, let me just call uh, Klaus Schwab and some of the other Luciferians and ask them if they'd do us a favor and, and, and pull the trigger on the world takeover in the fall. You think they'd go for it? Well, I, I would love to meet the guy. I really would. Just him and I. In a closed room, just for a few minutes. <laughs> then we'd know uh, a lot. Something tells me it wouldn't take a few minutes, but uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, God bless you. Remember, uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you don't know the Lord, man, today's the day of salvation. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And until then, we will see you next week. God bless. <laughs>